are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. Really have had to work through rather than being a victim of my past, rather than being a victim of my sin, rather than being a victim of broken relationships, rather than being a victim of betrayal. I've chosen to forgive. And I have to keep on choosing to forgive. And so did Joseph have to do the same. And it reads in chapter 50, verse 15. We'll start there. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. That's a nice word, badly, because in most translations, it's with cruelty. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the, of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. The prophetic word came to life at that moment. That was the last time they had bowed before him. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, I really want you to listen up to this story I'm about to tell you because this is really the foundation of where I'm going in this message. Corrie Ten Boom was in a church in Munich when she saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray coat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where she had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and Corey had come to ha from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and she gave them the favorite mental picture, her favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never so far from a Hollander's mind. She liked to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, she said, God cast them into the deepest ocean and they're gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at her, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after the talk. The solemn faces stared at her. And there, were, again, and there were no questions after that talk in 1947. The people actually stood up in silence 
in silence, collected their wraps, and in silence they left that room. And that's when Corey saw him working his way towards her against the others. One moment she saw the overcoat and then the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overlit lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. And she could see her sister's frail form against ahead of her. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, now thin as she was. Betsy and Corey had been arrested for concealing Jews in their home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where they were sent. Now he was in front of her, hand thrust out. Fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And she, who had spoken so boldly about forgiveness, fumbled in her pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember her, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But she remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since her release that she had been face to face with one of her captors and her blood seemed to freeze instantaneously. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was the guard there. No, he did not remember me, she thought. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. The words were, will you forgive me? She stood there. She whose sins had every day been forgiven. She could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, trembling death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to her it seemed hours as she wrestled with the most difficult thing she ever had to do. For Corey, it had to do, she had to do it. And she knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. She knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, she had had a home in Holland for the victims of a Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars were. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still... Corey stood there, 
with the coldness clutching her heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, and she knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of your heart. Jesus, help me, she prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. God, you'll supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, she thrust her hand into the one stretched out to her. And as she did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in her shoulder and raced down her arm, sprang into her joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood Corey's whole being, bringing tears to her eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. For a long moment, they grasped hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. She had never known God's love so intensely as she did that day. We witness in Genesis 50 how Joseph displayed this same type of grace-filled forgiveness towards his brothers, his brothers who, whose cruelty had redirected, impacted, and transformed his life without his own permission. In obedience to God, both Joseph and Corey Ten Boom extended tender mercy and communicated God's grace through heartfelt forgiveness. As I read the story of Joseph, as I read the story of Corey Ten Boom, I realize that the Spirit of God wastes no time in using our significant expression of grace to bring heartfelt forgiveness. The Spirit of God wastes no time in using our significant expression of grace to bring heartfelt forgiveness. There are many insights that you could look at from the book of Genesis regarding forgiveness, many from this one chapter. But I'm only going to offer you three today because we have an annual meeting in about 30-something minutes. So I thought I'll make it short. I want to share three insights from the life of Joseph that show us how you and I can offer heartfelt forgiveness towards others. And we see in verses 15 to 17 that we often rehearse past sins that have already been forgiven. We rehearse them. It's like, a, it's like film on a reel playing over and over in our spirits, in our minds, in our memories. The brothers became aware of the fact, of the fact that their father's death left them without anyone to mediate with Joseph. The brothers' deep-rooted, fearful insecurities were resurrected once more. We see that in verse 15. This insecurity created a fear of what Joseph might decide to do. And the brothers were afraid to approach him personally. And so they became mechanical. They manufactured their forgiveness. 
and sent a message to him, hoping to convince him to forgive them. Verse 16. And then it's clear that Jacob actually didn't speak these words. He didn't tell his brothers to tell Joseph these things because the father had 17 years to actually talk personally to Joseph about these matters. The brothers fabricated, manipulated a desperate plea so that Joseph would not retaliate. It means that they had not processed their own need to extend heartfelt and ask for their forgiveness, for Joseph's forgiveness on their own. And we often wrestle with this needless guilt in our hearts over forgiven sin. And we would do well to frequently remind ourselves of, Jesus, of Joseph's response. Actually, he is a typology of Jesus Christ himself. But in Genesis 47, uh, 45, verse 7, it says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is when he actually had revealed himself to his brothers after they had come back from Canaan to get another boatload of food. And he revealed who he was. And at that time, he had forgiven them and release them from what they had done to him. And Joseph's response to this message was what? He wept. He wept because they didn't believe him. He wept because of the fact that they thought he would retaliate. And so they were questioning his character. They were questioning his heart. They were questioning his motives. They were questioning what God had already accomplished in his life. And it broke his heart that they didn't trust, believe, or that all the activity that they had been through as a family and all the redemption that God had already brought into this family was the reality that he himself had forgiven them. They didn't believe it. How do you respond to mistreatment and injury within your family. This is a family matter. And we all have these situations within our families. For years, there are situations that go undiscussed. There are situations that are deep within the soil of our souls where there is resentment, there is bitterness, there is anger, there is rage that comes out in disproportional manners and injure family members again. Joseph had hoped that when they came and when he had revealed truly who he was, that he was their brother, that they had sold into slavery, but that he understood that it was all for the purpose of God, that they would understand and receive forgiveness. Don't be stingy with the grace that God has extended to you when he forgave you. Let that be the grace that you extend to others as a gift of forgiveness. We see in verses 18 to 20 that we can choose to either be grace thrillers or grace killers. 
What do you want to be, a grace thriller or a grace killer? I love Joseph because Joseph chose to lead by grace. He forgave by grace. He spoke by grace. He loved by grace. He remembered by grace. And he forgot by grace. The brothers offered to become servants and worked their way to the place where Joseph could forgive them and accept them. And many of us feel that that's what we need to do to earn someone's forgiveness is we need to better ourselves. We need to prove ourselves. Trust me, I've been there, I've lived there, I've worked that through, and I still haven't come through yet. Do you hear what I'm saying? So you live in such a way that when you've sinned and it's damaged deeply, then you work to earn that person's forgiveness. But God says to you that if you come to me and you seek for my forgiveness, I forgive you and I release you. And then I'll give you the grace to begin to work that through in the relationship with those that you require forgiveness from. I'll allow you to do that. I'll extend that to you. Great uh, Ephesians 2 Verses 8 and 9, back that up, that thought. It says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. I remember as a child that when my uh, father came home drunk and he would beat my mother up. And she'd have the scars to show it. And being the entertainer in the family, I would quickly put a song and dance together just to brighten my mother's day. Or I would find ways to help my sisters who, that was a rough time for them. It was a rough time for me. And I would do anything she would ask me to do in order to release the stress, the frustration of what she had just experienced. And so I would go about and I would clean everything for her just so that she wouldn't have to do it. And I found that that, that became a pattern. And then she divorced him and married another man and he was worse. So there was double the, double the cleaning. Are you, are you getting what I'm talking about? And it wasn't until I got saved that I realized that was not my responsibility. I'm not responsible to provide forgiveness for the whole family. I'm responsible to give forgiveness when I've wronged those within my family. Do you understand that? And it's taken me a lot of years to understand that I don't have to work for people to forgive me. I need a change of heart, a change of behavior, a change of my thinking, a change perhaps of my motives. And then heartfelt forgiveness. Not something that I manufactured through my works, 
but something that is a thrill to give through the grace of God. That type of forgiveness is what I want to offer. So no one can boast but God. Amen? There are three grace killers. Where I've learned these grace killers is actually when I've done my family funerals. God has used me often to go home when somebody's passed in my family. And when you're with family, you hear these three grace killers all the time. And the first one is, I should have. I should have, I shouldn't have reacted that way or this way. Um, the next one is, I could have. I could have been more available. And the third is, would have said I loved you more often. Those are the three grace killers. Should have, could have, and would have. And a lot of people at funerals in family functions, at funerals, deal with guilt, shame, blame, resentment, and bitterness when they need the release and to receive the release of God's grace to forgive them. And we often wrestle with needless guilt over that sin, unforgiven sin, undiscussed sin. And we would do well to frequently remind ourselves of what, Je uh, of what Joseph said. Go with me to verse 19 when he said, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He's saying to them, Get up. Be men. You don't have to work for this. You're not going to earn this. And I'm not going to kill the grace of God right now as I've already forgiven you. That's a done deal. Once upon a time in their marriage, Saul Rosenberg did something really stupid. And Ethel Rosenberg chewed him out for it. He apologized and they made up. However, from time to time, Ethel would mention over and over what he had done. And Saul said, honey, why do you keep bringing that up? I thought your policy was forgive and forget. It is, Ethel said. I just don't want you to forget that I've forgiven and forgotten. <laughs> Isn't that true? I love Joseph because I don't know if you've ever played King of the Hill when you were a kid, right? And, uh, you know, usually the biggest bully got to stay on the hill. I never got to the top of the hill. But um, Joseph did not play king of the hill with his brothers. He didn't exploit his power. He could have. He could have exploited his power as second in command of Egypt. He had, over, he had that over his brothers, and he didn't play that trump card. He didn't take advantage of his brothers' emotional distress. He knew they felt cornered, insecure, vulnerable, and now they were at his mercy, and it was he could have made it time for them to pay for what they did. There's always a choice to make people pay for what they do. That's when you become, you become king of the hill and forget that Jesus should be king of the heart. 
since he ministered with grace-filled forgiveness, when his brothers bowed before him in fear, he was able to say, get up, because God intended it for good. There's that tension, isn't there? I, this is where I wrestle with God all week. I'm like, so here I'm doing my devotions, and I love Genesis, and I came to the end of the book a few weeks ago, and chapter 50, I'm like, I like chapter 50, but I don't like chapter 50. You know what I mean? There's that tension. I know I've got to read it because I'm on a Bible reading program, but, oh, you know. And so I read it, and there, that's that moment that you come to. Are you kidding me, God? Are you telling me that a lot of the suffering that I've gone through at the hands of others, they're intentional cruelty. You're telling me that you're going to work that out for good? And he says, yes. Yes. Do you believe that? And I said, well, there's some circumstances in my life right now. The answer would be no. Why? Because it's so raw. Because it's a process. It doesn't go bada bing, bada boom, and it's all done. And God in his grace, releases each time you deal with that certain circumstance that's wounded you. You get to make the choice. Character or compromise? Whenever I've compromised the pain that once was over here and much better, I walk back into that pain. And it affects me differently. I want to stay over on this side. Because that's where the cross is. And where the cross is, is forgiveness and grace. I don't want to stay over here in the old. I want to go to the new. That's where the cross is. Heartfelt forgiveness. Amen? Do you constantly allow the three grace killers to rob you when you have the opportunity to forgive and forget? Do you continually, through guilt, hash over and over? I should have, I could have, I would have, when God has already said, you're forgiven. I freed you from that. We see in verse 21, 20 and 21, where Jesus said, I mean, excuse me, where Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and save the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And my point here is that I like to make is a forgiving spirit prevents us, listen, from becoming involved in a vicious cycle of self-destruction. Boy, it's so... Unforgiveness is a vicious cycle of self-destruction. Lived it, been there, done it, and it is vicious. And it corrodes your heart 
and leave scars that you don't want in your heart. Joseph wasn't just overlooking what his brothers did. I think that's the beautiful thing of those verses. He wasn't, he, he wasn't giving them permission to hurt him again. He, he was determined to clear things up for the last time. He was admitting, I know what you did. I know you meant to do evil to me. I know what your plan was. It was to destroy me. But I need you to understand that I've gone through this whole redemptive process of forgiveness, and now I can say what you meant for evil, God intended for good. Romans 8, 28. Amen? And he wasn't stating this with anger, regret, hesitation. He was saying, get this straight. God meant it all for good. And I've allowed God to work that in my heart. And I'm not allowing you to take out of my heart the healing that I've been through because of God's power, his might, and his deliverance. I've met God in the midst of my tragedy. God wants to meet you in the midst of your tragedy that you might extend heartfelt forgiveness to those who wounded you. Looking beyond his brother's sinful motives, Joseph realized that it was God who actually ordained his life in Egypt. And this realization removed the actual bitterness and resentment from his heart. And letting God define his intentions in situations of evilness, cruelty, and betrayal can motivate us empathetically offer this heartfelt forgiveness. The brothers couldn't understand that Joseph now was standing there. He was willing to do the will of God and that God had actually replaced any resentment, any bitterness with the joy of his suffering. It's powerful. The forgiveness extended by Joseph and his statement of God's purposes validate that his true character. I believe that authentic people know the significance of depending on and experiencing the grace of God. We can't forgive in our own flesh and in our own strength or becomes manufactured as the brothers were in the beginning. I'd rather have heartfelt forgiveness rather than manufactured forgiveness. I like what John Maxwell says about this situation of character. Crisis doesn't necessarily make character, but it certainly does reveal it. Adversity is the crossroads that makes a person choose one of two paths, character or compromise. Forgiveness will break the vicious cycle of self-destruction. It prevents us from, being the from the destructiveness of resentment and bitterness, hatred, hostility within our relationships. To harbor hate and hostility is contradictory to the spirit of the living God. Christ said in his final words, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.
And we thank you for this, your spirit that wastes no time in, in using our significant expressions of grace to bring heartfelt forgiveness into those situations and circumstances, difficult people. We ask you, Lord God, to give us the grace to forgive against those who've sinned against us. Give us the grace to forgive ourselves for those that we've sinned against. And Lord, we just acknowledge today that we need to embrace your, your heartfelt forgiveness for us. We receive it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I want you to really take some time and think about that, chew on that all week long, and ask God to reveal to you where in your heart, what relationship in your life is God calling you to offer heartfelt forgiveness? We're going to start our uh, annual meeting in about five minutes. So if you want to stretch and then come back in about five minutes, we don't want to keep this all day. So we're going to start right away. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.